the murder mystery podcast. The story unfolds each week. Will you guess the killer? On the murder mystery podcast, it's The Venetian Affair. Episode 4 In the dining room of Palazzo Mandola, Malin Reed is guest of honour at the family dinner. Most of the family are genuinely interested in what he has to say, although Jess is bored from the outset and makes rolling eye movements to Olivia several times as they hear about how Malin's technique has changed over the years or a story about Malin meeting Hockney in the middle of a Jackson Pollock exhibition at the Royal Academy in London. Joel looks worried throughout the dinner. Anna, sitting beside him, is more animated than her husband and has seemingly recovered from her angry phone call. Three times Olivia sees Anna reach out and put her hand on Joel's in comfort during the evening. Philip only lasts an hour of the meal before he excuses himself and goes out to smoke. Olivia notices her phone is out of charge as the dessert course is finishing and Maria is clearing the plates. She goes to her room and plugs the device in. As she arrives back downstairs, she can see someone waiting in the entrance hall by the front door. She doesn't recognise her at first, but then sees it's Isabel, and walks to her. "'You lost?' says the lawyer. "'I was asked to bring this for Mr. Reed,' she says, holding up an art portfolio case. She has obviously been crying. Rouge circles outline the lower half of each eye, and slight moisture reflects the chandelier above them. "'He's having dinner with us,' says Olivia. "'Do you want to come and see him?' "'No, that's all right. Could you give this to him?' She pushes the case towards Olivia. "'What is it?' "'Some pictures,' says Isabel. "'Christina pulled some of the pieces from the crates that are just on canvas still, and she wanted Mr. Reed to decide which ones he wants in the exhibition.' Olivia takes the portfolio case. Isabel turns away to the front door and grabs the door handle, but the door sticks momentarily, and she tugs at it, then lets out a suppressed sob, and Olivia puts her hand on her shoulder. It's okay, Isabel, she says. Come and sit down a sec. They sit on a gothic wooden bench that stands against one wall. The woman looks at the floor and tries to gather her emotions. After a minute, she is calmer. Sorry, she says. You want to talk about it? Says Olivia. Just between us? The girl breathes out and wipes the back of her hand across her nose. Christine's such a bitch to me. I saw that. Did you? The woman looks up and at Olivia. Did something happen tonight? She's always shouting at me, and she blew up over these pictures. The woman indicates the portfolio. Said I should have known that Malin needed to see them. She's a bully, Isabel, says Olivia. Only to me. I know the type. She needs to feed her ego all the time, and you're a handy person to kick. Are you defending her? says Isabel, pointedly. Not at all. I'm saying that one way to address it is to understand her motivations, 
says Olivia. I'd love to say that she'll change, but that doesn't happen quickly. It's a behaviour that has got her benefits in the past, I'm guessing. Don't know, says Isabel. I've never worked with her before. How did you get this gig? My dad knew Paddy years ago. There you are, then, says Olivia. Christina sees you as a threat. She probably thinks you can go to your dad, who would talk to Paddy and get rid of her. Isabel shakes her head. No, my mum and dad died in a car crash when I was fifteen. But I wouldn't say anything to Paddy, though. I want this job. I need the experience. Talk to her, then. Tell her you think you can learn a lot from her. Ask for her guidance, as this is the start of your career. She's an egotist. Hand her to her self-centeredness. Isabel is silent. In twenty years, when you're in her position, you can behave differently. You can be kind. They sit and chat for a few more minutes. Then Isabel goes off into the night, and Olivia rejoins the family. The Ristorante Carpaccio sits on the corner of land where the Rio de la Conduo Canal slides gracefully into the Venetian Lagoon. Half of the tables are inside the building, and half are spread across the grey paving outside, next to the blue water. Christina walks from her hotel in the back streets near the Biennale exhibition site, and across the bridge next to the restaurant. The maitre d'hôtel sees her immediately, and effusively shows her to a table near the waterfront. The light is fading across the bay, in a mixture of blues and greys, which remind her of a Daubigny painting. She chooses a 2018 Sauvignon Blanc, and watches the changing colours over the Adriatic, as she thinks about her day. A waiter shows her dining companion to the table after ten minutes. Vincente! She almost shouts the words. She stands to kiss him on both cheeks, and they chatter animatedly throughout their scallops gratinate course, and order a second bottle of wine before their sea bass, Branzino Alferi, arrives. Eventually, he gets around to the topic that he has on his mind. How is Paddy? he says. Seems well, says Christina, looking forward to owning his canfield. The lights of the lanterns reflect in her eyes. I may have hit a slight problem, he says. She raises one eyebrow in expectation. The provenance file. What about it? she says directly. I thought Signore Reed was bringing it, he says. But he didn't do that, it appears. You trusted Malin to bring valuable documents with him? You obviously don't know him very well. Oh, why do you say that? He's borderline Alzheimer's in my view, she says, lighting a cigarette and holding it down beside her so the smoke rolls out along the ground. I have met him several times. He seems fine, says Torito. Where's the Providence now? she says. London, still. The frustration is starting to rise in his voice in response to her questions. You know who was robbed when he got here? No? I think someone is not telling you the whole truth, she says, watching the Italian man's face. Christina, he says, too loudly, then stops and reduces his volume. I have been dealing pictures for nearly two decades. It will be fine. No need to get all flustered, Vincenti, 
she says. I know a man who can find providences for you. You know, just in case you get stuck. She smiles wryly. He looks across at her and says nothing. The seabirds that have been gathering on the quayside forty feet away are suddenly all spooked at once and fly up into the darkness and disappear across the water. Dad, can we talk? Philip holds his father's elbow and pushes his face too far into Paddy's personal space as the family and Malin move into the lounge to finish their evening together. Now, Phil, would be good. The two of them walk out of the dining room and across to Paddy's study. Drink, says his father, pouring himself brandy. His son declines and they sit on two armchairs set to one side of the room. What's on your mind? This is great opportunity I've found, says Philip. Paddy can feel the hairs rise on the back of his neck. The wine business is going really well, doubled our profits in the last year. Good. Thing is, we need capital to expand. That won't come from me, Phil, says Paddy. Hear me out, Dad. I'm not in a position to fund a project, Philip. We only need a few thousand, he borders on pleading. You've shown your hand, says Paddy. A few thousand pounds? It's not the level of funding one needs for business expansion. If you'd said a hundred grand, I might have listened. But a few thousand? Are you in debt again? I can't believe you won't even listen to a business venture. I thought you'd spent your whole life taking risks and achieving profits. Philip's face reddens as his voice has flecks of emotion. I have, Phil, says Paddy. But managing risk means you have a plan to avoid it, not just expect everything to go tits up at any moment without warning. If you're in debt, then tell me, and we can work out some sort of loan. I'm not in debt. It's for the bloody wine company expansion, Dad. Did you not listen? The words are delivered with fire, and he stands up halfway through to reinforce his message. When you can come to me and are honest, Philip, then I'll listen. Phil turns and storms out of the room. He returns to the lounge, where the family are sitting and talking. In one corner, Jess is working on her laptop. Jess, can I borrow that? Why? Just need to email something. Use your phone, she says. Internet's broken on it. Oh, all right. She lets out a big sigh. How long are you going to be? Five minutes. I'll go and get more coffee, she says, and goes to find Maria, as Phil clicks through her machine. The next day, when Olivia receives the message from Vincente Torito, saying that he is free today and asking if she wants to meet, she accepts immediately. Half an hour later, she arrives at the Hotel Locanda Vivaldi. Vincente is waiting by the reception desk, and she is surprised that he knows her by sight, given that they have never met before. He is only slightly taller than Olivia. His eyes are sapphire blue, the same colour as the lining of his suit jacket. The two of them go to the dining room which overlooks the water, and take a table near the doors to a veranda. 
the weak sunshine of the April day seeps in from across the lagoon. "'It's good to meet you at last,' he says, even though it's only three days since she started working for Paddy. They chat about pleasantries for a few minutes. He wants to know about her background, and she tells him. Vincente tries to dominate at first, but Olivia has dealt with so many domineering characters that she keeps the power balance with ease, and after three attempts, he relaxes, and they order Café Lungo. "'What about you, Vincente?' she says, using his first name, as he had insisted, as soon as they met. "'Tell me about your art deals.' "'My father started the company,' he begins. "'We lived in Rome when I was a child, and he was the curator of a gallery there. He was making a little money from the job, but not enough to give us the lifestyle we wanted. He discovered that buying and selling pictures provided the sort of income he needed. And you followed in his footsteps, she says. He trained me every day after school. Machiolli, Futurism, Arte Pavera. I had the best art education in the whole of Italy. What was your first deal? A cantarini? I was very proud, he says. Then I was selling something about every three months. I found that I am good at it. A smile plays over his features almost all the time as he talks. Is it only about the money? She says, watching his reaction for the truth. I love the art. I love the beauty. And is there a big ambition? She says remaining intentionally slightly distant. The one I have always wanted is a Gardi. His Venetian works are exquisite, molto belle. Tell me about Paddy Cornish, she says, getting out her notebook from her bag. This question creates another opportunity for her to use her eyes, as much as her ears, to explore the extent of this man's honesty. He stiffens slightly. Noted. I am buying a can field for him, says Vincenti. I know the owner, so we are getting a good price, sir. Did Paddy ask you to buy it, or did you suggest it? He stops, searching her face for more meaning, but none comes. He takes a sip of his coffee. Part of my job is to find a great art and match it to buyers, he says. I need to know how these things work. She smiles to dissolve the slight tension. I recommended it to Signore Cornish, he says. And who is the seller? Her pen hovers above the paper. A company called Art d'Arabia. Is there an individual behind that company? She asks. It is a trading company with directors like any. Olivia writes, A shell company? Question mark? On her pad but he can't see the page. His discomfort has only risen as he has been speaking about the painting. As part of her role is to protect her client's interests, she needs to be sure about the arrangements and the parties involved. In her mind, right now, she's not sure she would recommend going ahead until she knows more. She makes another note to search for any paperwork that Roger Thorne had collected together did Thorne look into the background of Art de Rabia? If he didn't, she needs to do that 
urgently. Where are we in the purchase process, Vincenti? She says. We have requested provenance, sir, says the Italian. Olivia registers that he says nothing about the robbery. She knows that she needs to stamp her imprint on the project, and there's no time like the present. I can take over all the contractual steps from now on, Vincenti, she says. I need you to send me all of your documentation so far. I guess there's a bit of work for Ted to sort out the funds, too. The blue touch paper having been lit, she waits for the firework to go off. She can see his brain working behind his mask of control. The arrangement I had with Roger Thorne was that I would lead on this, and he would fill in the legal details. That's not the way I work, she says. I can talk to Paddy, and he will confirm the arrangement, she says, deadpan. Vincenti pretends to have run out of time. He looks at his watch and invents a reason to leave. Olivia's challenge now is to find out exactly what he wants to keep hidden. If this is a corrupt deal, who benefits? Is the painting a forgery? Was the stolen provenance faked too? But more worrying than those is the question that won't go away. Was Roger Thorne's death connected to this deal? Millions of pounds are involved. Enough to pay people to kill, possibly. Certainly enough to drive some people to crime. The one thing she knows for certain is that she must talk urgently to Paddy Cornish and understand more about this purchase.